Welcome back to the Just Be Your Bad Self podcast, where you are enough just the way you are. I'm your host, Kimber Dutton, a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist who is on a mission to normalize the human experience in all of its messy imperfection. Join me as I explore what it means to feel worthy of love, to live wholeheartedly, and to lead an authentic life. I'm excited to announce that my very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in my show notes and stay tuned for why I love using Zen for all my podcast recording needs. Today, I'll be talking with ultra marathon runner, author, and social worker, Corey Reese, about his new book, Stronger Than the Dark, and his battle with smiling depression. Corey, oh, now it's recording. Corey, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I just finished reading your book a few weeks ago, and I cannot wait to talk to you about it. I'm really excited you're here. Thanks for the invite. I'm excited to talk to you. Can you give us a brief introduction of of who you are and, and what you do and maybe a little bit about why you wrote this book? Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of a mix of so many different things. I'm I'm a writer, ultra marathon runner, social worker. So just a little bit about each of those. Let's see, with the running stuff, I've been doing a lot of ultra marathons and hundred milers, and that kind of led to writing. I just books, have to so. interrupt you and laugh at okay. how casually you say hundred hundred <laughs> milers. To me, the first time I heard of someone running. Anything like a marathon seems insane to me. The first time I heard that people ran over a hundred miles, I my jaw about hit the floor. So I love that you're just like hundred milers, whatever. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's the smartest hobby, but I I eat a lot of cookies and ice cream, and so I I have to run more miles to, to burn it all off. Yeah, hundred miles of worth yeah. of cookies. I'm sure. Exactly. So I I wrote a few books about ultramarathon running. And, and then I, I started working on my third book, which was about a race called the Vol State 500K, which is a 314-mile race across Tennessee. And that book, so that's my most recent one, and it kind of morphed along the way of writing it. I, I had a couple things happen over the course of writing it that kind of shifted the, the direction that the book went. So I during that time I my wife and I left the Mormon church and then I also got diagnosed with this weird health condition that it's called CVID where basically my immune system is really crappy and I had to start doing infusions and so that interrupted the way that I was able to run and the combination of both of those things kind of triggered some depression that I had not experienced before and so the, I, I decided like if I really wanted to put myself out there with the book and raw and vulnerable, then I needed to write about that kind of stuff and kind of how I worked through that stuff. And so that's that's kind of the direction that the book went. But I also, I've been a social worker for maybe around 20 years. And so that kind of gave a different slant with the book. Like, you know, it's it's one thing to intellectually know about depression and and be experienced in treating depression, but it's different from actually experiencing it. So that 
it, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really the direction that I planned to go, but in the end, I, I am glad I did. And I, I just want to be part of making that a safe thing to talk about. I think that's fabulous. I'm all about that too. I think that's why I started this podcast too, this idea that I love you talk about in your book a lot about you, you term it smiling depression and this mask that we all wear. And this is a podcast about being authentic. Well, I can't talk being authentic. And a huge part about being authentic is taking the mask off a little bit and showing the uglier, harder, heavier parts of ourselves that that make us feel vulnerable. And I think that, yeah, depression and so much anxiety, all kinds of mental illnesses and struggles that we work through are things that are universally experienced by people and we don't talk about it. Right. Why don't you think we talk about it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's kind of a cliche, but it's true. Like there really is a stigma against mental health stuff. And I think it, I think people feel embarrassed or ashamed or almost like I should be able to handle this on my own. And then that kind of fuels the depression because when you can't handle it on your own, it's, it's discouraging and depressing because you think you should. And then it just kind of fuels itself. And so, yeah, I think it, I think we just, try to put on this this image of being perfect and we've got our stuff together and it, it just that's the easier way i'm looking for a quote in your book this has been my experience with it and if i can't find it i'm going to be bummed because it's really good I've, I've probably marked too many things so now it's going to make it harder rather than easier to find what i need to find well i'll just talk about it because you'll know what i'm talking about you talk about in here this feeling like i don't am i being dramatic i Am I being whiny? I don't even have anything to be that depressed about. Like my life is good. And then there comes like, in Buddhism, they call it the second arrow. You know, we suffer over our suffering. Then you feel this like immense sense of guilt over being depressed. Has this been your experience? This has been my experience. I'm like, my life is good. I have a good life. Why? Why do I feel this way? And you feel guilty about it. And it becomes even more shameful to talk about it because you feel like you have no right to these feelings. Is that your experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so easy to like minimize our feelings because it's easy to say like, well, I, let me give you an example that's related to this. So in the book, I write about my experience going to a therapist and how hard that was at first and strange and awkward and eventually amazing and awesome. But I was talking to her about my this common variable immunodeficiency disorder and how I have to do these infusions and it really sucks. But I work in dialysis centers and I, I'm working with people who have to come in every other day, do dialysis treatments for the rest of their lives. And there's these huge needles and they feel terrible afterward. And like they're, they're, their lives are so much harder than what I have to do. So really what I have to do is not that big a deal. And the therapist was like, okay, stop. That's minimizing how hard it is, the stuff that you're going through. Like you're allowed to feel that way. You're don't, don't minimize the way you're feeling. So I, I think that the, 
the same kind of thing happens with depression. Like it's easy to look around and be like, well, other people have it worse. Other people are going through hard things. What do I have to feel bad about? But that's denying the reality that maybe you're not feeling as good as you want to. I think that one of the most helpful things that I've ever heard for me on this subject is I listened to Noah Rochetta's podcast called Secular Buddhism, which I really find just so much comfort and wisdom in it because it's, Buddhism is very much about accepting what is. And one thing that he talks about on there is how as humans, we, we like to chase happiness and we like to think that there is, it's a possibility that we could get into a position or a or a point in life where we never have to feel these negative emotions and that everything will be perfect and fine. And and he says, whether you are like the richest king on the planet or someone born into poverty and really hard situation, you get to experience the entire spectrum of human emotions. Just because you were, you're in this situation doesn't mean you never get to feel happy. And just because you're in this situation doesn't mean you don't get to feel sad. We all get to experience all of it. <laughs> and I find I find such comfort in that on both ends of the spectrum, right? I don't need to feel this huge, I feel it anyways, but I don't need to feel this huge pressure to find happiness all the time because I'm not, I'm not going to escape the bad feelings. And the bad feelings, you know, they're temporary too. And we, we just get to feel all of it. I, I take great comfort in that. Yeah, that's awesome. So You've briefly touched on everything that you you talk about in the book, which is you run ultra marathons. You're a social worker. You you've got this condition where you it's not dialysis that you do. It's injections. Yeah, it's infusions. So I have infusions. Yeah, it's it's so it's like an immunoglobulin to help boost my immune system. So I just have to pump this kind of like gel. Like it's it's kind of like rubber cement, just like. Oh, that sounds so pleasant. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And so I have to stick three needles in my leg or my stomach or and then just do my infusion once a week. Oh, my gosh. There's, there's a line in your book where you say something <laughs> about ultramarathon running and how it makes you an expert on suffering. You, I think you start the book out this way and then mm -hmm. the rest of the book plays out that you've really... I feel like from reading your book, you've become an expert on suffering in a lot of different ways from a lot of different perspectives. And I want to get into what, what are you learning from all this, these different perspectives on, on suffering? Well, I think that's one of the things that drew me to ultramarathon running in the first place was that it's suffering, but it's chosen suffering. So I can like I'm, I'm choosing to do this. I, I know what I'm in for. I know here's the biggest part. I know that at some point that suffering is going to end. I'm going to get to a finish line, whether it's 26.2 miles away or a hundred miles away, or, or if I drop out of the race, whatever that suffering is going to end. I, I have control over it, which is quite a bit different than real life where that's what's so hard is that sometimes you, there just isn't a finish line. You, 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 you don't know when the suffering is going to end and that's what makes it so hard. So I, I think that, yeah, I mean, you mentioned everyone, everyone 
suffers. And I have this kind of unique gift to be able to sit with people in their suffering and kind of see see behind the scenes of what what a lot of people don't see as a therapist and social worker i think that that has reinforced the fact that you can't you can't always trust what you see on the outside you, you can't know the private battles that someone is facing and so i think it just highlights the importance of treating everyone with kindness because you don't really know what what's going on below the surface so You've been a social worker for a long time, but the last few years, this is the first time that you've really struggled with depression. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. What, first of all, I imagine that it's really easy to kind of invalidate your experience and feel like I'm a social worker. I know about this. I shouldn't have to experience this, right? Yeah. How, how do you come to grips with that and, and, and be okay with experiencing something that you feel like you should have? the knowledge to get out of. Cause I think that's, at least for me, I try to fix everything with information, right? If I could just learn the right way to do this, I won't have to experience the pain of it. I won't have to suffer. I can fix it. And you went into it knowing all of this stuff. How do you, how did you yeah. grapple with that? Yeah, that was, that was really hard. So this therapist, Stacy, that I started going to the, the first, the first session with her, she said, so what's it like being a social worker, going to therapy. I'm like, well, it kind of sucks. Like, I I think that I should be able to handle this on my own. Like, I refer people to therapy all the time. I know the value of therapy. I, I help people with depression, and yet I can't seem to get through it myself. And and she said, yeah, I, I totally understand. That's how I felt when I started going to therapy, too. So this is, this is allowed. This is okay. And she's like, it doesn't it doesn't make you immune from having different challenges. And so I think just having her normalize it was, was a huge comfort for me. And I need to let you know, I kind of told you this, but your book is the reason that I decided to start therapy because like yeah, you, you mentioned that, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm loving it. I'm really like, everyone should be in everyone should be in therapy but it's funny because yeah. i've always been like a huge like you said i've been a huge proponent of it it's not like i think i like to say that i i don't view mental illness as a stigma at least that's what i thought but but i can view other people that way it's a different thing for myself because i should know better i shouldn't need it it's okay for anybody else to need it i shouldn't right. need it and so it was right. a really helpful perspective for me to read your book you're a social worker. You, so many of the things that you said are like the exact thoughts that I've thought. My life is great. I'm probably just being like melodramatic. I shouldn't need therapy. And so reading your experience, like I finished the book and I was like, okay, it's okay for me to get therapy. And it's been so good for me. I'm only like a yeah. few weeks in. In fact, right after this appointment, I'm meeting with my therapist online. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm excited about it. It's been really, really, really good and so it's been interesting for me someone who who doesn't have negative views about therapy to realize that I I still have stigmas around it that I shouldn't mm -hmm. need it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's normal. I I was just reading a book and it it talked about how therapy is kind of like mountain climbing kind of like you and the therapist are both climbing up some mountains to the side of each other and and a therapist isn't any better at climbing it's just it's like 
a therapist can look over and and see maybe there a better a better line up the mountain or an avalanche coming or like just that that outside perspective to be able to maybe help you see things that you can't see from your vantage point and i think that's so helpful like i think i know i know i know the right thing to do and say and feel and and i'm introspective and i understand myself but having that outside perspective and getting a different way of thinking on some things is so awesome and also for me it's been that validation and you mentioned this with your therapist that we invalidate our own feelings all the time and sometimes it's such a relief to hear somebody else say yeah it makes sense that you are feeling this way just those yeah. words it's like the biggest sigh of relief like oh i'm not crazy like it's okay that i feel sad i don't have to beat myself up about the fact that i feel this way i'm like getting teary just saying that like it's okay to feel these emotions and it makes sense that i feel these emotions that's been like a huge game changer for me yeah one of the most common responses i get from people who listen to my podcast is how long have you been doing this it sounds so professional like you've been doing it for years I'm actually very new in the podcasting world, and I record all my episodes remotely with my laptop and mic balanced on a stool in the corner of my bedroom, but I do have a secret that I'm ready to reveal. Zencaster. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives me studio-quality audio without needing all the technical know-how, and if you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, I can't recommend it highly enough. Stay tuned to the end of this episode and I'll give you a promo code so you can try it out for yourself. I want to talk about this term smiling depression. You talk about, you know, you're a social worker, you're very introspective. It probably makes you like a ninja at not letting anybody else know what you're going through. <laughs> what What is smiling depression? It's it's basically just the the idea that people can use a smile to mask how they're really feeling inside. You, you just can't know you can't know what's going on below the surface. So for me, like the most powerful example that I have is about a year or a year and a half ago, our, our, we have some really close friends, just amazing people, and their teenage son um, took his life. And so they had a bunch of family in town and like the next day and the, the following days. And so my friend Luis was there and, and his family said, okay, we're going to go to Costco. Come with us. And he said, no, I, I don't want to go to Costco. They're like, yeah, just come with us. You need to get out of the house. It's, it's good to, it's good to get out. Let's get out of the house. No, I, I really don't want to. Finally, he, he agreed and, and went, went to Costco with him. And he said, he talked about what a surreal experience that was to just be, walking through Costco, having people passing by and, and having no idea that this man, they were walking past his son just took his life the day before. My gosh. I mean, I can't fathom that. And, and that, that is like the most powerful example of like, we just don't know the, the, the cashier at the gas station or, or the, the person that you pass on the sidewalk you just don't know and and so we just have to we have to show kindness 
at this retreat that I just finished, one of my clinicians there is a drama therapist, Anna Beck. I've had her on the podcast. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I knew I loved her and that she would do cool things. I did not have a clue what to expect from her at this retreat. And one of the exercises she did with us the very first night, I didn't expect that we were going to be doing like legit group therapy pretty much at this thing. And it was it was incredible. But one of the exercises she had us do was she had a couple of people that volunteered to pick a couple other of us and pose us as the mask. We talked about masks and how we wear masks. She had, um, she, so she had the volunteers pick someone else and say, okay, what, what's the person that you present to the world? And then choose someone else and say, what do you feel like inside? And it's like one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed the, the pain and the insecurities that all of us have. And like all of us just every single person in that room could relate and to see it visualized in that way. And these people that inside they feel trapped or they're in this dark hole or they're grieving the loss of somebody, or they've experienced some really intense trauma, but they don't want to burden someone else with it. It's a universal thing. You know, you hear these things like everybody's going through something, treat everyone with kindness because you don't know what they're going through. And Sometimes I think we hear it to the point that it, it, it kind of starts sounding trite and and you don't really think about it. But yeah, like your friend, his son just died by suicide the day before and everyone's experiencing these incredibly heavy things. And the question that I have is like, what is the question? I guess with this idea of smiling depression, sometimes even asking for help doesn't sound like I really need help <laughs> because I, I control my emotions. And I think a lot of people are this way. You control your emotions to the point that when you get to the point that you're ready to validate your own needs a little bit and ask for help, you do it in a way that still sounds like you're totally fine. <laughs> and to you, it feels like this big ask. And, and I don't think it comes, I don't think people still can see like, oh, that person needs help. They've, they've broadcasted a need that needs to be met. And so sometimes and I'm just going to speak from experience. I, I'll be really, really struggling and feeling like I'm, my life's falling apart or I'm going crazy. And I'll say something to someone like, hey, I've had a really rough day. I feel like I'm going to lose my mind. And that's about the way <laughs> that's about the way my tone of voice is. And to me, I'm like screaming inside, like I'm losing my mind. I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I can even hear myself at this level of like, I don't know. Does, does that does come across what I'm saying? Like, it's so hard yeah. to break through that mask. We've built up these masks so thick. How do you break through that? Well, I think you, you bring up an important point. Like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really what's going on. And so you kind of throw out breadcrumbs, hoping that someone will notice. And then when they don't, because you haven't put it all out, then it, it kind of reinforces like, okay, so no one cares. My needs aren't important. And it's understandable that we go there, but that's, that's when we have to take accountability and be like, well, I need to, I need to really be direct in how I'm feeling and what I need. And instead of hoping that someone will mind read and understand what what my needs are like what you described is so so common for all of us and instead of letting that be like our our 
proof that people don't care or that our needs aren't important. Instead of going in that direction, we have to go to like, okay, well, I need to, I need to put it out there. I need to be more vulnerable. I need to ask for what I need, but it's, it's hard because you're exactly right. We're not used to doing that. We don't want to be a burden. We maybe think our problems aren't that big a deal. So it's, it's hard to let the wall down for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think I just keep thinking of this meme I saw on probably Reddit somewhere that said something about how you can be having a total mental breakdown by yourself in your car and have the thought, oh, I'm just being dramatic. <laughs> I'm just doing this for attention. And no yeah. one's around to even look at you. And you're like, oh, right. I'm just doing this for attention. And and sometimes it's okay to need attention too. I, I think I think sometimes that may be why we get to the point of a breakdown where it's, we can't do anything else. Like there has to be, we get really sick or we get some kind of physical expression of our inner needs because we have a hard time vocalizing it. So it has to manifest somewhere else so that someone can see that person needs help. I would imagine self-harm maybe is along these same lines. Like I, I don't have a way to verbalize this. I don't know how I don't know how to ask for my needs to be met, but I'm really hurting inside, and I I need someone to see that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. Like, ideally, if we're really taking care of ourselves, we're we're taking care of stuff as it comes up instead of avoiding it, pushing it down, all of that, because that's not really handling it, and then it just keeps piling up until does become a crisis. And so, I mean, I, I hate to keep going back to wise things my therapist said, but she, <laughs> she said, like, I still go to therapy now just on the regular. And, and the difference is that I'm going just to keep myself on track instead of going out of crisis. Mm. And I, I love that idea. Like, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be like going to therapy, but it's handling stuff, dealing with stuff as it comes up, letting yourself feel the feelings instead of avoiding as it comes up instead of pretending it's not there, avoiding and because it doesn't go away. We live in a society that really believes in this phrase, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And we feel that that applies to like our self-care as well, right? Oh, I'm doing fine. I don't need to pay attention to myself. I can, I can put all of my energy into, you know, my job, my, my family, whatever. I don't need to worry about myself. And just this morning I did, I used the Calm app for a meditation and I did a guided meditation called Radical Self-Care. And I think that's such a powerful way to frame it is like, this isn't something everyone's doing. It almost feels like a little bit of an act of rebellion to really do something that's taking care of yourself. And I think this idea of going to therapy on a consistent basis, even if you're not in crisis mode, would be a great form of radical self-care that we can take care of ourselves without having to get to the point of we, are, we aren't we are going to survive the week if we don't get therapy, which right. I think is the a lot of us wait till we get to that point. I want, so I want to talk a little bit about vulnerability and letting ourselves be seen and kind of the way that gender plays into that. It was really interesting for me to read your experience of why you aren't vulnerable as a man, because I've 
I've had a different experience, but similar as a woman. So it's interesting that sometimes gender can play to that. So, so talk to us about how being a man kind of feeds into this feeling. Well, I think there's, there's a term toxic masculinity, like guys have to be tough and not show emotions, not, not let stuff get to them, keep their cool. There's also like the, the way that that shows up negatively in men a lot is that it comes out in anger. So that one for men, a lot of times is in their minds, that's okay. So yeah, it, it was, it's, it's hard to let down those walls and like things you don't really want to look at. What I found was really amazing, really just allowing myself be vulnerable. It kind of like creates a safe space where other, other people can do the same thing. So I noticed like with my friends, when I started talking about what I was experiencing, they were so supportive and and talked about how they actually had been feeling some similar things and so it's kind of like i i just kind of like shake my head like oh it it really is this easy like i i had resisted for so long letting myself be vulnerable but i had to do that it's like it it i realized that vulnerability creates connection and and that's really all all of us are wanting that we're wanting connection and and the way to do that i i really believe is to let yourself be vulnerable and let down the expectation of being perfect yeah i in the beginning of the book you you talk about going on a run by yourself and i think you almost ran into a cow in the dark is that what it was oh. you almost ran into <laughs> and you say something you said you let out like a like some kind of weird Yelp. Then you yeah. said, if, if Mel would have heard it, she would have divorced me on the spot. And uh -huh. that was the first time when I was like, whoo, that's a lot of masculine conditioning right there. Totally. You, you have to be the strong one. You're not allowed to show that you're fearful or vulnerable in any way, right? Right. And that's kind of a humorous example of it, but it's still very uh -huh. much there. And it's interesting to me that as a woman, the, the emotion I feel that women are cut off from is anger and rage. And that's something that I've really been discovering with myself lately. And as you are discovering that you can be vulnerable and, and not always, I don't know, what's the, you, you know, experience more emotions, experience more vulnerable emotions that may be termed as weak, even though that's a horrible term for yeah, it. But, right. but as a man, I think that's probably the label that gets put on it a lot. As a woman, instead of our, our sadness and anxiety and whatever else coming out as anger, like I think would happen for a man, maybe it's the opposite that our anger and rage often comes out in being hyper emotional and vulnerable. And, and, and so sometimes I don't know, I, I've let myself express some rage lately, both in my podcast a little bit and on my Instagram account. And it feels like a super hyper vulnerable share because women aren't supposed to be angry. And just like you said, I have found some incredible connection, human connection with other women that say like, thank you. And I'm sure you got this with your book as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I feel like you are reading my mind right now. And, and thank you for being a voice that's willing to say something. And it's so sad that, that both genders feel like there are certain emotions that they're not allowed to feel. Yeah. 
but doing what you're doing, like you're, you're creating that space to show it's, it's okay to do that. And you're so right. Like the fact that you're, you're bringing up those feelings, you know, that there's so many others feeling the same thing that just don't, don't feel safe to express it. And so I, I think it takes, it takes stepping out of your comfort zone to show other people that it's okay to do that. I wanted to, my favorite moment in your book. There's so many awesome moments. If you're listening to this and you haven't already bought Corey's book, you can, you can listen to it and go head over to Amazon and look up. I don't even think we said the title of your book yet in this podcast, <laughs> but it's called stronger than the dark exploring the intimate relationship between running and depression. And I'm here to tell you, I am not a runner at all. I really hate running, but this book was every bit as important and connected with me. Mad respect that you run, by the way. That's not me. But what I'm trying to say is this isn't just a book for runners. I think this is a book for humans and it's an important read. So so go get it. But one of my very favorite moments in the book is you're talking about this incredible ultra marathon that you're running and the misery that you're going through and your feet are just wrecked. You've got mm-hmm. blisters all over your feet. And can you talk to us about the moment when you kind of let your walls down as a runner and let yourself be seen there and what happens? Yeah, that's that. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I went to do this race Vol state kind of hoping that it would unlock some things for me. It would help me realize what I needed to do to work through this depression. I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of thought naively that this race would like show me parts of myself and I'd come back feeling healed and whole and happy. And it didn't really work like that. Like a race isn't a magic fix for stuff like that. But there was one experience that like opened the door for me. So yeah, you mentioned I, you have 10 days to do this race. And so you, you sleep when you have to sleep, eat when you've come across a gas station or a fast food place to eat. Like there's no, there's no aid stations, no support staff. You just, you're on your own. You have, you have 314 miles so crazy. to travel and you can't even fathom have fun. It. good luck. We'll see you at the finish line. We'll give you a little wood oh, necklace gosh. at the end. So, and it's, it's in the middle of summer in Tennessee. So it's crazy hot, crazy humidity. And my feet just were hamburger. Every step was just like walking on hot coals after a few days. And so I think we were maybe day seven and I was with my friends, Jeff and Carol Manwaring, and they could see that every step was so painful. And Carol said, I have a lot of experience working on blisters. Do you want me to help you? Do you want me to see if I can patch some up? And like, no, I, I don't want you to do that because that's freaking disgusting. Like, working on another friend's gross feet no i would not ask anyone to do that that's disgusting well so we keep going we were 40 or 50 miles away from the finish line and i just didn't know what to do and so when she offered again i i finally agreed because that's how desperate i was i was desperate enough to let a close friend work on my disgusting feet and so just letting myself like be humble enough to do that so I was sitting on some stairs and I took my shoes and socks off and 
she started working on my blisters and I just had this like complete emotional breakdown, except I, I'm a man, so I, I can't show it. And so I just had the ugly tears just coming down, but I was quiet and I didn't, I didn't want to make a big scene. And part of the emotion was like, oh my gosh, my feet hurt so bad. But part of it was just such a raw, vulnerable moment. I felt just like something I hadn't experienced before, just letting my walls down, letting myself be helped by someone else. It was such a such a foreign feeling to me. And then she happened to look up and see that I was crying. And I saw that she started crying too. And it ended up just being such a connecting, powerful experience. And after I came home, I realized that's that's why I ran Vol State. That's what I needed to get from that race was just recognizing that it's okay to ask for help. Other people are willing and wanting to help and vulnerability creates connection. And I mean, I intellectually knew those things before, but I hadn't really let myself experience them. And, and it was just a game changer for me. So that's when I, when I came home, it, led to me talking to my wife for the first time about how I was feeling. It led to going to therapy. And I think that was really the moment where a shift happened. So this is, this is right after the moment that you just told us about. You say, <clears throat> then she looks up and, she, and sees my tears. The expression on her face remains stoic and focused, but I see heavy tears filling her eyes. We have built such a powerful bond of empathy and love. As she works, everything around me blurs. I don't feel the wind blowing the leaves on the bush next to me. I don't hear the cars driving by. All I notice is the warmth of Carol's empathy. She is feeling my pain with me. In this moment of being supremely broken, I now recognize life's meaning with pristine clarity. We are here to endure. We are here to be a beacon of light in the darkness. We are here to help others turn hurt into healing. We are here to spread hope and radiate love. And gosh, I think the longer I'm alive, the more I come to that same conclusion that we haven't really gone into this, you and I, but both of us have the same religion of origin that we've we've left. And I think it's a pretty common religious practice, but I know especially in the Mormon religion that kind of the point of life is to become perfect. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're here to be perfect. We're here to figure everything out and do everything the right way. And it's been such a struggle for me to find new meaning in life after letting that one go. And I'm sure that's where a lot of the depression comes from, right? And this this part of the book, when you say, this is why we're here, it's not to have it all figured out. It's not to become perfect. It's to experience it and to reach out to others, to be that beacon of light, to be to be there for each other. On my very last podcast episode that I released, I read a poem called that I love. And the, the whole poem is about, yeah, I, I still don't know how to clean my shower floors. I I don't know how to make a perfect morning breakfast smoothie. And my friends tell me same, same, same. And it's a love letter of sorts. And maybe we aren't here to essentially to figure it all out. Maybe we're here to to say, oh yeah, I go through that. 
I ex- I know yeah. what you're going through, and I'm here with you. And and that's to me, that's what your whole book is about. It's such an important message, and and I mean, it helps me personally. Like I've already said, that's awesome. What are some takeaways that maybe we can live, leave with our listeners today if they come come away with just one or two things from this episode? I think for me, like the the takeaways that I hope I hope people take away with is just a willingness to let the walls down and and be vulnerable and if you're going through a hard time and can't seem to get things back on track it's okay to ask for help and there's there's so many different resources i mean it it could be just talking to friends and family it could be taking an antidepressant it could be going to therapy like i think it's so important to know we don't have to do this alone. And, and that's really one of depression's biggest lies is that we're alone. Other people don't understand. And, and that is false. That is, that is a lie. That's, that's something that we need to recognize as a lie and not, not listen to it. So I think that's, that's a huge thing for me. And then the other thing is just recognizing that smiling depression exists and we need to be aware of that and treat others with kindness and create connections where people feel safe to say how they're feeling. Yeah. Where can people, I think everyone should follow you and find you and read your book. I know we talked about a lot of heavy stuff today, but this is actually ironically like a really funny book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there there was some lines that just made me laugh out loud. And I'm not like a laugh out loud while I'm reading kind of person. But you've just got such a fresh, unique take on things. And I love your sense of humor. And so this is actually a poignant, but also a very, very fun read. And I love I loved that while reading your book, I felt like I felt like I'd kind of been like a witness to some of it because I follow you on Facebook and you some of the stories in here I had read about when you posted them, like uh-huh. when you talk about the Toto playing Africa in the bowling alley a million times i was like i remember when he did that so you're just a fun person to follow so where can people find you and follow you you can if you just go to coreyreese.com that has kind of my information about books and stuff you can get them on amazon or audible or facebook yeah those are probably the best places and whether you're into ultra marathon running or not you've got awesome stuff i love following you and, and connecting with you You've been listening to Just Be Your Bad Self, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution has everything from local recording to automatic post-productions in the tool, which makes producing your first podcast episode a piece of cake. If you want to be your bad self by starting a podcast, go to zen.ai slash justbeyourbadself for 30% off your first three months. That's Z-E-N dot A-I slash just be your bad self. Thanks for joining me today. To get more nurturing around living an authentic life, you can follow me on Instagram at just be your bad self. I love interacting with my listeners and would love to hear from you. So find me on Instagram and drop me a note. Remember, you are enough right now in this moment. That's it from me. Now, just be your bad self.